Warning, this podcast may contain graphic and triggering content. Please listen at your own risk. Each individual struggle is different and everyone's recovery and healing journey is different. Please reach out to a certified medical professional if you need help. Welcome to episode 41 of Stomp the Stigma, the podcast aimed to fight the stigma surrounding mental health through education, awareness, experiences, stories, resources, and the vulnerable truth. This week's episode is part two of my very special segment with Daniela from The Often Unseen. If you didn't hear part one, go back and listen to episode 40. But in this episode, we get into her experience with hypervigilance and micromanaging to make sure that nothing goes wrong for her husband and her family. We got to talk about what she experienced and kind of the side effects of his PTSD. She tells us how their lives have changed after the traumatic event, how her marriage has changed, and the importance of a safe space and support system for you as a caretaker and supporter. We also get to talk a little bit about her blog, why she started it, and her own mental health journey following everything that happened, as well as what she loves to do for her own self-care. I do want to touch on like your hypervigilance and and uh, micromanagement that you, yeah. that you brought up. Do you think that kind of came about because you are such a fixer? Like, do you think that still would have happened to you if you if you didn't have that type of personality? I think so because some of the things that I became hypervigilant about were really, um, were really weird. Like, I don't know if it's my subconscious or my body, whatever. I was, I became a hundred percent attuned to my husband's sleep. And so he doesn't really have, nightmares anymore but when he would I would wake up before he would like I would hear his breathing change I would feel his movements change before he even woke up and so I would wake up first and I would gently wake him and and let him know like hey you're safe it's okay like you're you're here and so to be that attuned to like someone's breathing when you're asleep, like it, it was very strange. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that is sort of what was um, the first time it happened. I was like, wow, oh, that was weird. Cause I'm a pretty decent sleeper. Like um, my husband's alarm can go off without me waking up or, you know, things like that. But I became a hundred percent attuned to him next to me and and how he was sleeping and other things like when we moved so this happened um in September we moved into our new house um at the end of October and I could not go to bed into like I would check every door at least twice that it was locked that our outside sensor lights were on um, that our cars were locked, um, and I was never like that at our old house or living with my in-laws. So even that, which has eased up a little bit, but like I would lie in bed knowing that I've checked twice 
mm-hmm. but sometimes I'd still get up and be like, no, did it? Like just things like that, like safety lights, feeling safe. And then, yeah, so that's sort of like hypervigilance of what can I do to make myself feel safe? Cause that was such an unsafe thing to go through. And yeah, the micromanaging was more about, you know, could we go somewhere or enjoy something well and have John like feel comfortable and safe. So, you know, if we got invited to go to a friend's house for a barbecue or something, you know, I would say, well, what time, who's going to be there? What time is everyone coming? We'll arrive first. We'll leave like always having like a, an entry and exit strategy and knowing being able to tell John exactly who's going to be there or who wouldn't be there or how many people would be there or, you know, what the plans are for the evening. Like, no, we're just going to hang out. Oh, is there, are there games? Are we going to have a bonfire? Like, even though all those things are fine and, and not really related to anything, but being able to let him know exactly how things were going to go, what to expect who to expect to see, you know, and so that I could, yeah, basically just reinforce that sense of safety, like for him or, oh, going away is another big micromanaging thing that I'm trying to like let go of, but probably I didn't leave until it had been well over a year. Like I didn't leave him and the kids and not because it was like they're in, he's unsafe but just because kids can be stressful under the best of circumstances and his capacity for that stress mm-hmm. was lower and so I remember I was going overnight to to Winnipeg and I like had all the meals planned I had like put in my mother-in-law on on standby or just go check in or you know even like he's been a dad for you know nine years totally capable but it was just me micromanaging a to like try and remind myself like this will be okay because you've taken care of all of this it will be okay for you to not be there for 24 hours but also to make it as stress-free as possible for him so that it's enjoyable for them. I don't want him to have to think about laundry or activities to do or what to cook. It's like, it's all there. So hopefully it's just like fun and rainbows and, and nothing bad pops up. And so that's one that I'm slowly like letting go of. And I mean, like the other night I had to take my oldest to swimming lessons and my youngest still needed a bath and I was going to be like here's her pajamas and here's the towel and here's the shampoo and I was like no he can he knows how to give her a bath like he'll figure it out and so I just left and sure enough I came back and she was bathed and it was fine and and I was like okay like slowly letting go and and reminding myself that like it like it might not get done the way I want it to get done or I think it needs to get done, but like he is capable, he can handle it. Like it'll be fine. And I think that's a big piece of it too, is that it adjusts over time. Like the 
capacity that he had for noise or big crowd or whatever in the beginning was super low. Like I said, Christmas dinner was not not happening. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, we just had a family birthday party for my nephew on Saturday and it was great and everyone was there and the kids were loud and there was, you know, so I I, I think a big piece of being a caretaker or a spouse of someone with PTSD is that like, hopefully, um, you know, if they're getting the help that they need and, and they're moving forward in their healing is that things change and they do adjust and the capacity for things grows, but you have to be patient and you have to probably get frustrated and probably feel resentful at times like because you know had this not happened you you know things would be different Mm -hmm. like I could have gone on that girl's trip or you know I could have asked you to do this or you know we could have gone and done that and and letting go of of you know the what could have been or you know what might have been or or whatever like you can't dwell on it but you know, there were definitely times when I felt resentment, like, this is not what I thought I was, you know, what kind of partnership I thought I was marrying into. And then you pause and you're like, wow, that sounds awful. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I've had that feeling. Let's move on from there. But I think that's where having those supports in place where you can work through the feelings because they're big feelings and you know until you're in until you're in them you don't know you know what it's gonna be like or how you're gonna react or how the dynamics are gonna change so having those supports of a safe space to be like I am effing frustrated or I am so pissed off or I like why do I still have to do that? Like you have to have that safe space to vent or talk through things and then be able to move forward. And I think that's where it can get tricky is if you're just holding on to them and like letting those things build, it can be, that's when, that's when shit goes bad. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So is there anything that has helped you kind of let go of that, need for control or micromanage stuff or is that just kind of over time as you've seen him heal and and get better that there's just less of a need for it yeah I think um you know reminding myself that like he's a good dad he's a capable human like yeah it you know like I know these things and that I also just need to ask when I want things done or I need things done that I can delegate that it's not going to cause an issue um but I don't like to ask for help I don't like to um and that's just my Enneagram type 8 personality of like I don't I'm not good at asking for help I want to feel confident and capable and like I can handle things and so yeah I think just over time of having to remind myself that like you can let go of that control it's fine things will get done um or they may not get done if it's not urgent and that's okay too but yeah just that reminder over time of 
this is okay. You can trust other people to take care of things and it will be fine. Yeah, you brought up a good point about people that have mental health struggles or mental illness. It doesn't make them any less capable of anything. Like they're not broken and unable to like live life. Uh-huh. Like you yeah, can it's just that it might get done in a different way. Yeah. Or it might take longer or it might they they might say no, I can't do that. And that's fine too. Like I think it's just for us figuring out like what works for for your dynamic, for your household. Um and having realistic expectations, I think is is another big one. Like my husband doesn't like to cook. He's not, you know, usually but so if I'm like you're in charge of dinner tonight. Like I can expect it's probably going to be takeout or like something really simple, like, and that's okay. Or, you know, can you do the dishes? You know, well, his, his big line is y'all get to them. Whereas I'm like, I want them done now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, am I going to pick that battle of the you need to get done now? Or I'm just going to trust that he'll say he's going to do them and, yeah. and it'll be on his timeline. So and he'll say that, like, well, if you want them done now, like, go ahead. But, like, I will get to them. And so I'm like, okay, I will let go of this piece of control and trust that they will get done. Oh, my gosh. That's tough. You know, it's, <laughs> but it's, like, what's, I think you get to a point where you're, like, what battles am I willing to pick? And, like, which ones just don't matter? But, yeah, it's having realistic expectations and having those conversations. Um, you know, I, I need you to do this or I need your help with this. And I think that goes for any relationship, really mm-hmm. mental illness, uh, you know, aside, but it can be harder when someone is dealing with, you know, PTSD or, or whatever, because you're always a little afraid to rock the boat. I think yeah. you're always a little afraid to like, is this going to set them off? Did they have a bad day? Is this going to make them angry? Am, are, you know, am I going to approach this in the right way? And so I think for, for in our situation anyways, you know, you kind of avoid those things as much as possible. And then, like I said, when you see that things are okay, you slowly start approaching these conversations again. Yeah. But it's, it takes time, but, and it can be, it can be frustrating for sure mm-hmm. to be in that caretaker role and feel like you don't always have a partner with you. You mentioned earlier that it can be exhausting, um, caring for someone or, or just supporting someone in the way that they need. And for people that are listening, um, sometimes we call it compassion fatigue and, uh-huh. A lot of the time you hear about it when caring for like an elderly parent or somebody like that because you put so much time and effort into them and you experience the same thing caring for your husband and doing everything you can to make sure that he's okay and not triggered and nothing goes goes wrong. And yeah. um, I say it all the time on my page actually that it's so important to take care of yourself 
so that you can be the best version of you for everyone else. And so now that you are finally able to kind of show yourself some some love and uh, take care of yourself, what do you like to do for self-care and what helps you kind of relax and unwind? Um, I'm a really big extrovert, so like I love just being able to like get together with my girlfriends for coffee or a glass of wine. And just like that connection is what really um, recharges me. Um, I've started to take care of my physical health again, which has started to feel great. Writing the blog helps. I love to read. Um, I love to like entertain and have friends over. Like I said, just like having those like, physical connections with like other people um is big for for me and what sort of like fills my cup and then yeah and then putting in the time to to talk to someone has been has been huge it's been a game changer of just even actively carving out that hour to you know close the door and and just focus on on me and what I might be feeling or might I might need to work through has been really refreshing because not that you like to talk about yourself but you're like oh I get it's like you have permission to like talk about yourself or like talk about the things that you need to talk about you mentioned earlier that uh you kind of started your blog because you couldn't really find a story that you related to have you found any support groups or resources that you relate to now that you've started it? Um, not really specifically like corrections related, but I have definitely found people online who have just connected with me, whether it was through Instagram or my blog and have just said that, you know, they have felt the same way that, I think more just from a spouse point of view that like, yeah, it's hard sort of being behind the scenes or in the shadows of, of the primary focus, especially when you add kids on top of that, it's, you know, again, you focus on yourself already so little when you have kids. So then adding on, you know, taking on that caretaker role to someone you know, battling PTSD, that in itself can can be so lonely. So I've had people just in that sort of capacity reach out and be like, yeah, it's exhausting. Or yeah, I am feeling burnt out. So yeah, it's been it's been great to connect with people and and I think more and more, you know, as people I've had people reach out to me to to share because Again, it's just even even on, you know, the Facebook groups that I did find, you know, more geared towards military spouses and things like that, like they're private groups. And I get it. A lot of the stuff that you want to share or talk about is is very private and personal, but like it's still so hidden for so many reasons, valid reasons. But I think the more that people are willing to share openly the better that it's going to be for other spouses to feel like, oh man, I am not alone in this Mm -hmm. because it, 
it is lonely. Yeah. Especially in a small town. In a small town, you know, things like this don't happen. Um, you know, there's not, uh, you know, even like support groups or things like that. It's because things like this don't happen in a small town. It's, it's you know, unheard of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I... So the internet and social media has really been uh, great for that aspect of being able to connect with, yeah. with people. How has this whole event um, affected your kids, or has it at all, or do they do they understand what happened really? Um, I we've never sat down and really had to talk about it. Um, my oldest is a very smart perceptive 11 year old and so we've had the talk more and more recently about like we should probably sit down with her because I think she knows that something happened but she's never really brought it up and we've not um but she did say once at school last year maybe she goes we googled our last names to see if you could find you know the meaning of your name or whatever she goes in someone started a GoFundMe page for us. And I was like, oh, that's so strange. I'm like, you know, I kind of sloughed it off and um, and she never brought it up again. So I kind of just left it. But we've talked about more and more like, you know, she's in grade six and, you know, has an iPad, like has access to, yeah. you know, the internet. She could easily find all the news articles that are out there. But yeah, so, but she's a healthy, thriving, you know, lots of friends, good in school. Um, and our youngest is just in grade one this year. So she has like no idea of anything. Mm-hmm. Like nothing in her life has ever really changed, you know, with my oldest daughter. After we kind of made up the story about how uh, my husband got his black eye when the week rolled around, when the weekend was over, I said, you know, we're going to have to tell her something because she's going to realize you're not going to work anymore. Like she's going to realize you're home. Yeah. And so at that point we had said like, you know, you know, uh, there's bad people in the jail and, and uh, dad got hurt. And when you get hurt, they give you time off. So dad will be off work. And she was like, does that mean you can drive me to school in the morning? you know like still not like so even then that's you know we we let her know that like dad got hurt and when you get hurt you get time off but we never really had the the detailed conversation so thankfully they were young enough that for the most part their normal day-to-day life never never changed or was never affected you know and again really thankful that my husband had the insight to realize right away that he needed help and that for all intents and purposes, like their dad has never had to go away or, you know, changed that much really. Like, so yeah. Oh, that's so great. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. That's awesome. But yeah, like I said, as they get older, it's like, well, yeah, we should probably have a talk and just, sort of just like laid out there like so I think you know that something happened to dad and you know if you ever have questions yeah you know you can ask sort of thing because yeah. we will talk about things related to it in a roundabout way like 
two years ago, uh, my husband was invited to speak at a mental health conference in Nova Scotia that was for first responders. So we went to Nova Scotia for, you know, a long weekend and, you know, she knows that we went there and that dad was, you know, speaking, like she knows all these little things. It's just that, you know, maybe we'll just have to put the big picture together one day and, and be like, do you have questions? Like, and now it's easier because it's easier for us to talk about. Yeah. Whereas in the beginning, it's like, you don't, <laughs> you don't even want to say these things to yourself, let alone yeah. think about having that conversation with a, an eight-year-old. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and we're really, you know, again, really lucky that like the physical injuries were so minimal that we were able to keep it pretty under wraps from them. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know if you can answer this or maybe it's like too soon to tell I don't know but do you think that life for you and your family will ever kind of get back to what it was before this all happened or will the PTSD kind of always be there just a little bit like in the background I think we're already sort of getting you know getting there our life is pretty normal my husband doing the work that he does now I mean he's he loves work he is excited about work he I think if I think if anything they probably our life is probably better because they're seeing their parents sort of do what they love um and be happy every day and I think a lot of people even without PTSD probably don't get that so I think that like in terms of normal I think we're we're there we do normal things you know our kids are in swimming lessons and extracurriculars and you know we try to go camping at least once a summer and you know we have friends over for barbecues and have big family dinners and things like that so yeah I think I think we're sort of there in terms of like you know, and I can only speak for myself, but I think I'm safe to say, you know, for as a family, like, we don't really feel like the PTSD has a real big placeholder. I know it's probably always going to be there. And, you know, we have, you know, I know I have my moments and I'm sure my husband still has his moments, but now they're moments. And I remember... I remember when people would say, like, how are things going? Or, you know, you run into people in the grocery store and they ask, but they're probably really just being nosy. And, you know, I remember getting to a point where I I could say, like, we have more good days than bad. Like, that was sort of my marker. We have more good days than bad. And now I'm really thankful to be able to say, like, I don't remember the last bad day that we had. Oh, my God. Actually, I think if anything, I've probably had harder days lately, but I think it's because I'm starting to finally work through stuff. But even then, they haven't been, like, awful. So I think think in terms of, like, normal, I think we're there. Knock on wood. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize that, but that makes me so happy. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy for you guys. That's so awesome. Yeah, 
and yeah, I think just being able to like, yeah, have those different kind of steps of closure and yeah, I mean, I really, I really credit my husband. He's done a lot of really hard uh, work over the years to sort of get to this place. And it's funny. I remember I had gone to a couple of his psychologist appointments just as sort of a support <clears throat> and um, my husband's not patient in terms of like how things like he, if he wants things done he wants it done and I remember he said to his psychologist like so how many sessions do I need before this is done like he want and he was like it doesn't really work that way John and so my husband was just so adamant to like take whatever steps were needed to sort of like be done you know with this PTSD and and uh, his psychologist, he'd be like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I think I'm going to do this. You know, like there was one time where he was like, I'm going to go back to the jail. Like, I'm, I'm going to go in the jail. Like, he hadn't even been near the building. And his psychologist was like, maybe just try going to the parking lot. And, you know, he's like, no, I'm going to go in. I'm going to do this. And sure enough, you know, the it didn't go that way. But, you know, he was relentless in okay well I'm going to try again you know next week or or whatever and he he pushed hard and you know his psychologist would probably say sometimes a little too fast or a little too hard but um he did the work he did the hard work and um found what worked for him you know like I said the physical activity the being able to go to the gym was definitely his outlet and still is and and then being able to find that he was able to turn that passion into a career I think also made a really big difference like when you're when you're happy that makes a big difference oh yeah so now that you're kind of I don't want to say like on the other side of this journey but um yeah, I feel like we're getting there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any advice that you would kind of give yourself at the beginning of all of this? Or is there any advice that you kind of wish that somebody gave you when this all started? Oof. Uh, yeah, I wish someone had told me that it was, that it was, you know, okay to, to acknowledge that this was my trauma too. Yeah. And it was, it's funny that acceptance and realization for me came from a very unlikely place. It came from my father-in-law and my father-in-law is the best. He's from, he's from Greece. He, so he has a very thick accent and um, he's very straightforward and, and doesn't get too mushy usually. But he was driving me to pick up my car from the garage. And um, this was before the court process had happened. And so he was asking something about it. And I said, I don't know, that's up to John. And he looked at me and he went, it's up to you. It happened to you too. And he just said it so bluntly and matter-of-factly. And I wasn't expecting it. And so he dropped me off and I got in my car and I burst into tears because it was like all of a sudden I had this outside validation that I didn't know I needed 
um, or was waiting for from this unlikely source in my father-in-law who who it was just like he was like duh like <laughs> like and I I yeah I had a good cry in my car and I think that that was the first time where I was like wow I think I knew it but hearing it out loud from someone else was like you're right and and that was that was like the permission I needed to like start writing my blog I was like okay I am allowed to talk about this I am allowed to you know share my version and and my struggles of it and and that uh my healing was part of the overall healing of like our family yeah um so yeah if I could go back and tell myself anything or remind someone else of it it's that like yeah your your story is is valid and is real and you do have permission to to share or talk about it as you want to mm-hmm. okay this might be this might be related to that but if you could say anything to someone else that's maybe having trouble supporting a loved one's mental health journey, um, what would you say to them? I would say to them that my my number one question when I felt like I couldn't help or I was struggling to help was, what can I do for you? And that was big because sometimes it would be like, you can leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, okay. You know, I, you know, what can I do from you? I need you to take the kids so that the house can be quiet for an hour. Okay. What do you need me to do? I need to go to the gym. Okay. You can like that and phrasing it in that way, like not, not going, you know, what's wrong or why are you upset? Or cause oftentimes like even, you know, people without, you know, dealing with mental health struggles, it's hard to put it into words what might be bothering you or, or why you're upset, but keeping it as what can I do for you made it just so much more um, cut and dry because they don't know why they're upset, but they know that you need to F off or they know that, you know, uh, they need to go for a run or, or whatever it is. Usually that was a way that, you know, my husband was able to communicate his needs in a really cut and dry way that wasn't, that's not personal, you know, what can, what can I do from you? You can go away. I need you to go away because I need to be alone. Like, it's not personal. It's not because, you know, I've done something wrong. Like that's just what they need in that moment. So I would tell someone if you're struggling to help someone like, yeah, start with what can I do for you? keep the questions yeah don't don't ask questions because often they don't have the answers or won't be the answer that you're looking for yeah um yeah and to have your own support system like we had our families who are great we're very blessed to have both our families living in the same town who supported us as a whole but it was it was crucial for me to have like my own support system in my friends that, you know, if I did need to vent or I did need to just like blow off steam or 
feel feel seen or heard like without worrying that it would affect how they perceived my husband that was huge like they knew that like John is awesome and John's a great husband and John's a great father and what I was saying wasn't like bashing him or or anything like that it was just me saying frustrations or me having a bad day and I and I knew that what I would say wouldn't affect what they thought of John yeah and that was key of having that strong support system so I would say like find find your people and if you don't feel like you have people I can be your people I love that yeah because because uh you can't you can't go through it alone it's impossible yeah it is impossible okay uh I only have a couple more questions for you um, but I do want to touch on your your blog and your Instagram page, um, The Often Unseen. I love Aww. that. Um, you kind of explained already um, the name, um, but what made you start that in the first place? I was desperate for some sort of um, outlet, and I... Um, had thought about what I wish I had had in those, in that first year. And yeah, it just really came about like, I'm ready to start sharing my story because A, I need to get it off my chest or unburied out of this like deep, dark box I have somewhere. And that if it resonates with one person, then isn't that worthwhile sharing? And so I wrote maybe the first two or three um, posts. I had my husband look at them to kind of get his okay, because I, you know, obviously do talk about him and a lot of it, especially in the beginning. And yeah, once he was like, yeah, of course, you know, And, and even he, had a hard time reading them because I often wouldn't tell him how I was feeling because when someone is dealing with their own shit the last thing you want to do is pile on more or make them feel bad or you know so yeah it was like once I kind of like got his okay and and was comfortable with what I was sharing I just started putting it out there (laughs) have you always been a writer uh no I guess I wouldn't consider myself a writer I've always liked to write like I liked English in in high school and in university but yeah I've never been like a quote-unquote writer (laughs) I kind of just put my thoughts put my thoughts down and if people want to read it yeah (laughs) then uh yeah so do you have any kind of goals or or future plans for your page or you're just continuing your your post um in the beginning I had a lot to share and write and so the the posts were a bit more frequent I think I was putting out like one a week and as I started to work through things I didn't I still had lots to share but I was just being a bit more 
I guess I was just being more uh, patient with my sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I try and put out one like once a month. I took the summer off just to focus on summer. And it always feels like a good way to sort of restart it because after summer comes September, which always brings lots of feelings. So it's kind of like a good way to get back into it because it's like, oh yeah, and starting this year, I'd love to like share at like a a conference or a retreat or something like that um, and just be able to like physically connect with, with people. Like I said, my husband uh, was able to go to this uh, first responder uh, conference in Nova Scotia they do every year. It's called Helping the Helpers. And it's put on by a group of volunteers, but it's spearheaded by a former um, firefighter living with PTSD and and his wife. And they're just amazing. Um, And so we got to go, I think when we went, it was the fifth one. And that would have been in 2019. And so they had my husband and a police officer and a 911 dispatcher and just like all different walks of, of the first responder world. And it was so great to like connect with people and hear other people's stories and, and share and things like that. So I'd love to be able to yeah, do that. Like I said, I'm an extrovert. So just to connect with people in person, I think would be really cool. But I mean, I guess the ultimate goal would be maybe not to have stuff to write about anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, I my goal is to just continue to share as long as I feel like I have something to share. And as long as people may feel like they connect with it on some level. Yeah. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And sharing, going into a little bit more detail and, and sharing kind of the whole story in one. No, <laughs> I haven't. Uh, I guess I've never thought, yeah, I've never really thought about it. Or like there's enough for a book. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Okay, I have just one more question that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. Sure. Um, is there a stigma or a misconception surrounding mental health that bothers you the most or that you hear most often but isn't true? Oh, I'd say there's probably a couple that I think of off the top of my head. One is that that there's like, you know, this magical timeline that, you know, after a certain point, it should just be like over with or, you know, you should be over it or and then, yeah, I think that's one like that there's some magical timeline like once you know a year passes you know you'll be over it or or whatever and then another one I think would be that like yeah that people dealing with PTSD are all like dark dark you know monsters Mm -hmm. you know or that you know are drinking like I said you know drinking in the basement locked away from their family like it's not that is the case in, in many instances and, and that's heartbreaking, but that it's just, there's no one way that mental health looks, you know, Oh, you don't look like you deal with that. Well, good. I yeah. get like, I don't know what just, you know, to say to that, but there's no timeline for healing and that it just, nothing looks one way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like both of those. Yeah. And those are ones that like, I've come across personally like I remember someone asking me 
uh, like a month later, like, oh, so is your husband back at work? And I kind of laughed, like, no. (laughs) And they went, well, why not? It's over, isn't it? And I was just like, I'm going to walk away. Like, you know, but it was just like, wow, there's this like ignorance around how a trauma works. Like, yeah. And probably because, you know, maybe some people do go back to work too soon after a traumatic event or, you know, they clearly don't know anyone living with, you know, um, a trauma or, or anything. So yeah, just building that awareness of that, like, whatever your timeline is for healing is valid. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is all the questions that I had for you. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on that we didn't get to? Uh, I don't think so. Um, If people want to reach out to you or have more questions for you, um, are you open to that? Yeah, for sure. They can send me a message through my website or they can send me a message on Instagram. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Feel free to reach out at any time. You can contact me on Instagram and Facebook at StompTheStigmaYYC and you can email me at StompTheStigmaYYC at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And if you or someone you know would like to come on, I would love to have you share your story, speak your truth, and together we can stomp the stigma.